The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Welcome to Summit Online. We're so glad you're here from wherever you're watching from. And uh, we are so grateful that you've chosen to be here with us this first weekend of spring break. And uh, we are just glad that, uh, that you've chosen to be here. Normally here at Summit, we go through the book, books of the Bible, verse by verse. We're currently in the book of Luke, but over the next two weeks, we're going to take a break from that and we're going to uh, just do some, some uh, sermons that are going to be one-off sermons that are not going to be in the book of Luke, and then we'll be back in Luke in just a few weeks. And today what I want to do is I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at just five verses there today, the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, where Paul is... Uh, is talking about and breaking down a very familiar problem that we face in the church, that we face in our faith, that we just face in society as a general. In, in general, a few months ago, my wife Charlotte and I attended a church, and the church made us feel I don't know really uncomfortable. Um, I'm not going to go into great detail about all the things that made us feel uncomfortable, but the people there it just seemed like they gave off this air of uh, they had it all together. They were more intellectual than anyone else that came in. Uh, their theology was perfect, and, uh, and everyone who didn't see things their way, well, they were just wrong, and, and they had everything together and everything right. Uh, that those people that didn't see things the way they saw them were probably lost even, didn't even know Jesus. And the pastor even said something in, in his sermon that, that day that really triggered me a little bit. He, he made this statement, and while the statement has some truth to it, here's what he said. He said, basically, if you're out there and you're here and someone dragged you to church here and you don't really uh, know Jesus, then you can't even understand what I'm saying today because you're dead to Christ. And, and where maybe the statement he made had truth to it, the way he delivered it really made me just feel uncomfortable because if I'm someone who's outside of Christ, that's not something that's going to make me want to come to Christ. And, and so I, I was struggling with all of that, and, and, and then I realized it was so easy for me to judge them. And then I realized I was doing exactly the same thing because they weren't seeing things the way that I saw them. Then, and that they were different than me. And, and it brought me back to the fact that when I was growing up, I, I guess I grew up the same way, that my theology was right. And the doctrine that I was taught as a child was, was right. And everyone else must be wrong if they don't see things the way that I see them. That was, I had the sound doctrine, and we were right, and everybody else was wrong. And, and it must make the Lord really sad. When He sees people especially people who claim to be followers of Christ, especially people in the church, when he sees those people dividing over so many issues, over money, over race, over politics, over theology, we've created so many denominations and so many flavors of Christianity that, that we can't even get along with each other because we don't see the Bible or see doctrine or theology the same way. And the struggle's real today, but Paul, here in 1 Corinthians, in, in the letter to the Corinthians, the entire letter, he was dealing with this same kind of a thing. He was dealing with this same problem, and he wrote these things to the church in Corinth. If you go back to chapter 1, before we get into our main text, you'll see Paul describing this, this problem that he dealt with and the same problem that we deal with today. He says in, in verses 10 through 12 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is a rivalry among you. What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. You see, Paul was dealing with the same thing. This idea that, well, I'm this and and you're that, and therefore we're parts of different groups instead of recognizing that we are all part of the same whole. We are all part of one body and one church and one faith and one Lord and one God who is over all and in all, as Paul says in, in Ephesians. You see, Paul was committed to leading people who were far from God especially the Gentiles, into a close relationship with God. That was his commitment. He, he spent his entire ministry trying to reconcile people who were lost back to God. And because of this, he didn't have time for fighting and for disagreements over doctrine and theology. Paul also here in, in these, this letter to the Corinthians, this this church that met in Corinth, he was also dealing with people who were very highly intellectual. And Paul could hold his own with those people. Paul was very intellectual himself. He'd been trained by rabbis, and, and he, unlike the other disciples, he wasn't just a common fisherman. He actually had a lot of training, and so he dealt with that. And so there were a lot of debates that Paul would, would probably find himself in, and people wanted to argue, and people were very highly intellectual and be able to prove their point based on their intellect and their wisdom and Once again, Paul didn't have time for that. So in our passage here in the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul zeroes in. He zeroes in on this issue and how he decides to handle it. And it's some really great advice for you and for me. Not just for our churches, although it's good for our churches. And not just for our denominations, it's good for that as well. But but for us as individuals that we would understand and, and, and act the way that Paul did when we face this kind of an issue. Follow along with me in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. Paul says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with, brilliance, with brilliant speech or wisdom. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, I believe that as as believers, we tend to to elevate non-essential doctrine. I think this is part of the problem here that Paul is addressing. We begin to elevate non-essential doctrines and theology and beliefs to to a place of essential foundation ones, foundational ones. We think that these things that aren't essential, we make them essential, and they become the centerpiece or the cornerstone of our faith and of our doctrine and of our belief. 
It's kind of like a wheel, if you, if you can picture that. And, and we take, the essential thing would be the hub of the wheel, and the non-essential things would be the spokes. And they're, just, they're very important, and it's not that they're not good beliefs, but if we take a non-essential thing and we make it the hub of the wheel, then it gets everything all messed up, and, and the wheel doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. And listen, I understand it's normal for you to have strong beliefs about theology. I want you to have strong beliefs about the things of God. You should be, you should be learning more. This isn't dumbing down the gospel. This, this, you should be doing everything you can to learn more and more about God and to grow in your faith and to know everything that you can about it. But you need to understand that, that these wouldn't be our beliefs if we didn't think they were true. But we can't take non-essential beliefs and make them essential and make them the cornerstones of what we believe. We also, I think, tend to use these beliefs and arguments as litmus tests. We, we turn them into this, this thing where, where when we're leading people to the Lord, they become the dividing line about whether someone is in or out. We take these non-essential beliefs and say, well, if you don't see it this way, then you must not really believe in God when we've taken something God never intended to, to be the litmus test and, and made it that. My goal today is not to get you to abandon your beliefs. It's not to get you to stop studying and growing and learning these, these doctrines. But we must stop dividing over them. We must stop making those the things that, that determine whether someone is in or someone is out. Paul evangelized by announcing or telling. The word is, means to tell or proclaim with conviction. He, he announced the mystery of God. Paul talks about that mystery in a couple other places. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he says, He, God, made known to us the mystery of His will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. He also in Colossians chapter 1 says it this way, I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, Paul never got away from this theme. He never got away from this theme of, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The mystery that he was announcing, his whole purpose when he was leading people to saving faith in Jesus was the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross. He did not proclaim it with brilliant intellectual arguments in order to convince them or to impress them with what he knew. I'm convinced that Paul could have done that. I'm convinced that Paul was educated enough that he could have used brilliance. He could have used persuasive words of wisdom. Paul could have done that, but you notice what he said there in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 2? He said, I decided to know nothing among you. It doesn't mean that he didn't have that in his head. It didn't mean that he wasn't smarter. He didn't know all those things. He just chose to not let those be the things that he emphasized because he had two things he wanted to emphasize. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was what he, he, he decided to make most important, to make essential. The word brilliance here, it's interesting. He says, I didn't come to you with brilliant speech. The word here means high-sounding words or pompous speech or claiming a high position or authority. 
It kind of describes what, I, what Charlotte and I felt in that church we visited, that, you know, I'm going to say all these real fancy words so that you will think that I know all this stuff, and that will convince you that you need to know what I know. But Paul said, I chose not to do that. He decided to focus on one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we come to the essentials. What are they? If we're going to talk about what's essential, I've already said it multiple times, but, but I just want to break it down from what Paul is saying here in, in, in this letter he wrote to Corinth. That, that I just think there's a couple things, and I'm not going to say this is an exhaustive list, list of all the essentials, but I'm going to say this is a really, really good place to start. In your faith, in your church, in your denomination, in your small group, in your group of friends, in your family, what are the essential things that you need to base your faith on? I think this is a great place to start. And I'm just going to give you two. The first one is this. Essential number one is this. The foundation that we are to build our lives, our church, and our faith on is the person and work of Jesus. The foundation that we build, everything else that we do, is, is on the person of Jesus, and it's on the work that He did on the cross. You see, we have to understand that Jesus is the answer for everything. I've always struggled with this because, because when I'm talking to people and they have a problem, maybe it's a marriage problem, maybe it's a, it's a, a money problem, whatever it is, that they're having a problem with their kids, and, and they come to me and they want answers for that. And, you know, I can give them a Dr. Phil answer, but, but what I always tend to default to is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. There is somewhere in Jesus and who He is and what He did on the cross that, that is the answer for everything. Now, it's not that simple, and sometimes we have to work through some things with our marriage and with our parenting and with our money, and we have to do some practical things. But ultimately, the foundational principle is the answer can be found in Jesus. And we must be spending our time and our mission, just like Paul, leading people to a living relationship with Him. But not only is He the answer for everything, but He's the hope for everyone. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But it's not just Jesus This well, Jesus is the hope. No, it's the hope is there because of the work that he did on the cross. Jesus crucified and buried and raised again. That's the hope that we have. It's the basic gospel message, and that's the hope that we have. And that's the foundation that everything we do should be built upon. If we're, again, back to that wheel, if we're allowing something else to be the center, the hub of the wheel, other than Jesus and the work on the cross, we may be doing great things, but we will be just a little bit slightly off, or maybe a lot off, depending on what we make the hub of our life or the foundation of our life. So we have to focus, just like Paul did, on Jesus and on the cross. A lot of people don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. A lot of people think it sounds a lot like Paul. I'll just say the Hebrew writer wrote these words in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep your eyes fixed on him. That's the foundational, essential that we have to remember. The foundation that we have to our faith, to our church, to our life is Jesus and the work he did on the cross. But just like I said, Paul didn't come arrogantly at people. He says, I came in weakness. 
That word weakness means I came with limited capacity. Again, remember, Paul is choosing this. Paul was not weak on his own. I mean, he was very strong in a lot of areas, but he recognized the weakness that he had when it came to God. This whole chapter, actually chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians in this letter, he's talking about how his strength is not even compared to the weakness of God. I mean, that God's strength is so great. But Paul came in limited capacity intentionally. He chose to come in and say, I'm not going to be the, the, the most brash person in the room to try to convince you to follow Jesus. I'm going to come in weakness. He says, I came in fear. And what I see in that is he, he didn't come in with a confidence in himself. He came in, in the, with the fear of the Lord as he would come and share with people about the Lord. And he came in much trembling. And I see this as such a different, such a different way that a lot of people approach evangelism, that a lot of people approach talking to other people about their faith. We have this, this strongly held belief. Here's what I believe to be true. And, I, and, I, and I'll hide behind this phrase. I'm, going, I'm just standing on the truth. I'm just standing for the truth. I'm standing up for God. That's great. You need to do all of those things. But if when I do that, I come in arrogantly, and I come in on my own strength, and I come in trying to prove to you that my argument is better than yours, that's the opposite of what Paul was doing. He didn't come in and run over people with his arguments. He came in in, in fear of God and in, in weakness and in trembling. The word that Paul spoke, his speech, do you know the word here in the text is logos, which is, when it's capitalized, is the same word that John uses in John chapter 1, describing Jesus. So once again, the message, the speech that he had was Jesus. It always was. But he said, my speech and my preaching, I didn't use persuasive words. I wasn't trying to convince you by arguing with you about these things. Instead, what I had to say to you was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So here's essential number two. If our foundation is, is the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, we have to understand that the truth of our message, this gospel message that we share, is based on God's wisdom, not on man's interpretation of it. Another essential we have to grasp a hold of. Now, this isn't like a gospel essential. This is just something I think we need to understand that it's essential for us to know that the truth that we proclaim is not based on what we understand. It's not based on our interpretation of what we understand. Truth is truth because God made it truth. And we have to stand on that truth, not on one man's interpretation of that truth. I look around and I see people all the time following men. I see people all the time following the teachings of men. And I think I can safely say, I will say this for myself, and I believe I can safely say it for Todd as well, that we as pastors, any pastor on our staff here, we do not want you to follow us unless what we are following is follow, we're following Jesus. That we don't want you just to become disciples of Todd or disciples of Nathan or, or of any other pastor, whether it's here at Summit or somewhere else. But I see so many people who are more tied to and more devoted to the interpretations of man that come from another pastor than they are with letting the Holy Spirit direct their path. And so then when we begin to share that faith and begin to proclaim the message to someone else, what comes out? What comes out is my persuasive words. What comes out is my speech. What comes out is my interpretation of truth rather than what God is really trying to say. 
You see, fancy preaching and smooth talk will not really convince anyone. Not anyone to really follow Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1, later on, Paul continues this thought. In verses 23 and 24, he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, people respond to the message of the gospel when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, not when it has convincing arguments from man or convincing interpretations of that truth. People respond when the Holy Spirit takes over because that's what real, where real power comes from. That's why Paul says that. He says, I didn't come with these persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Have you ever met a person that the Holy Spirit was all over them? Have you, and I don't know how you define that, but I'm just saying, you, you're around someone and you can just know that there is a spiritual element to that person. You can just feel it. You just know that, that they have the Spirit of God on them. And when they talk and when they begin to tell you about the truth of God, you begin to listen because you don't think well, this is coming from their, their expertise or their wisdom. You can feel that it's coming from the truth that God has. Or maybe it's, just been, maybe it's just been in your Bible study and you're having a quiet time with the Lord and, and you can just feel the Holy Spirit press upon you. He begins to teach you a truth that maybe you hadn't seen before. But when I was, um, I, I shared earlier that when I grew up, I, I grew up in this very, in this very legalistic um, you know, we were right, everyone else was wrong kind of mentality. And it really was, was interesting when God began to deconstruct some of the things that I believed to be true. It was actually very hard because as those things began to happen, I felt like I was betraying my, my family. I felt like I was betraying what I had grown up in. But, but it's, it's pretty impressive and, and powerful when you begin to feel God changing something in you and undoing a truth that you thought was one way. And we never can be too old to let God continue to teach us. But it has to come from the Holy Spirit's power, not from our own. Paul goes on in chapter 2 to say something about this as well. He says, now, God has revealed these things, these truths to us by His Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit within him, and in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. There's a whole sermon here that I'm not going to preach, but let me sum it up this way. We need to understand that we're not looking... Remember, the truth is, or the essential is, is that I'm not... <clears throat> the truth that I preach is not based on human wisdom, but on the Spirit's power. We need to understand that we can only know God, and we can only know the truth of God when we have the Spirit of God in us. And that comes through our salvation process as God redeems us and we put our faith in Him and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, He begins to teach us on a regular basis. But it can't be programmed or manufactured, can it? I see this so often. I don't know if you guys are familiar with what happened in Asbury, at Asbury University in Kentucky. And I know there's a lot of opinions about this revival that took place at this college. Some people have really great opinions. Some people have negative opinions. And there's, there's all kinds of opinions about what happened at Asbury. And, but what I know and what I've read is that 50,000 people visited that campus over the course of two and a half to three weeks. 
What I know is that students from over 260 universities came and visited that campus, and there was a move of God, and it just started with a few students who wanted to stay after chapel and just ask God to to forgive them of their sins, and they just began to pray confession. Uh, and, And all of a sudden, this revival began to break out as other students came to the stage, and they worshiped for days and for weeks, and and they, and they shared their testimonies, and they shared their, their sins, and they asked God to forgive them. And have you ever been a part of a moment like that? You can't manufacture that moment. I've had these kinds of moments on mission trips with groups, and you know we're, we're, we're just having a nightly debrief where we're just talking about, well, what was, what was your favorite part of the day, and what was your least favorite part of the day? And you're high, and you're low, and several hours later, we, after people have cried and confessed sins, and We've sang songs, and all of a sudden we felt the presence of God, and we felt His Holy Spirit. Those moments can't be manufactured because they're not based on human wisdom. They're not based on human knowledge. They're based on the Spirit's power. But religion can deceive people into following man's interpretation of the Bible instead of God's actual truth. I I have a friend. He, He is a very good friend. He's a pastor of a church and. One day we were having a discussion about, about doctrine, and, and he was telling me how, how we have to make sure that our people in our church have sound doctrine. They understand sound doctrine. And I agree, we all need, the Bible tells us we all need to have sound doctrine. But at this one point, I'm just trying to convince him that it's not his place to always give them that sound doctrine, that, that the Holy Spirit plays a bigger role in that. than I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't give that to you. He gives that to you. I can direct you in that path, but my job is to direct you into this relationship with him to allow him to speak to you. And at one point he even shouted out at me, where in the Bible does it say that people are supposed to feed themselves? And I was mortified that, that there would be this idea that man was supposed to feed God's people as opposed to God feeding God's people. Don't get caught in that trap. Understand that the simplicity of Jesus and his work on the cross is what we're supposed to preach and continue to rely on the Holy Spirit. Listen, there are many denominations, there are many interpretations of Scripture, there are many of the non-essentials that have become foundations in each of them. But this is not the way God intended for us to live out our faith. So how do we respond to this? You see, I've already told you, I grew up believing that I was in the right denomination and we were right and everybody else was wrong. In fact, I'm embarrassed to say that there were times in my life that I was afraid, almost forbidden, to walk into a Catholic church because, you know, they were different than us and we weren't allowed. There, there was a time even recently, well, it's been several years, but where we canceled our church services on a Sunday night and a Wednesday night so that we could attend a revival at a Baptist church and we had people leave our church because we were going to another kind of church even though it was a revival. And and I don't understand why we get to that place. Don't get me started talking about Pentecostals and speaking in tongues. I mean, you know, just the things that we teach people that that where we take non-essentials and we allow them to become essential. We allow them to become the most important thing and Just like last week when we talked about Jesus weeping, there has to be another thing that Jesus weeps about when he sees us not making the main thing the main thing. Listen, we stand on the same spiritual foundation, Jesus. 
We proclaim the same message of truth that people will respond to if the power of the Spirit is revealed to us. We walk in the same faith based on God's power, not on our wisdom or our understanding. So your response today is pretty simple. If you don't know Jesus, I hope what you've heard today is this. No matter where you come from, no matter what you've been taught, no matter what people have said that have turned you away from faith, Jesus and the work he did on the cross was for you. And you can put your faith in him. And that can become the main thing of your life and help you walk through the rest of your life as you stand on that firm foundation. But if you already are a believer, what, what is your response today? You, you, first of all, you need to commit to making him known, just like Paul did. You need to approach people with a humble spirit, deciding to make it not about what you know, but what, about what he has already done and sharing that with them. You need to focus only on Jesus and his work on the cross. You need to walk in his spirit, relying on him to interpret truth to you. Listen, I daily have to repent and change my attitude so that people would know him. Not me. Not what I know, but what he wants them to know. So that the gospel can continue to move forward. That's my commitment. But I have to repent every day and make sure that I'm allowing him to direct my path. What could be more essential than that? Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for Jesus and for the work that he did on the cross. Lord, help me make him the main thing. Help me decide to know nothing among other people except Jesus and him crucified. Help me be committed to sharing that truth, relying on the Holy Spirit to reveal himself in power so that other people will respond to a faith that's based on Holy Spirit power, not on my convincing them of what they need to do. Help us, God. Help us repent and change our ways so that we can let the truth of your gospel be made known. It's in your name we pray. Amen.